It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. My name is Stephen O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield. And Brett, I think the people are clamoring for another Fantasy Points data update. Where are we at with it? Yeah, so listen, my uh, my seven-minute rant from last week has made waves, Steve. Um, it got the, the ownership group thinking. Scott Barrett went back to the drawing board, and uh, I think there might be some revisions to the plan. Now, I'm still not going to get what I want, which is to charge you all $50,000. <laughs> um, I think there's going to be you know, maybe some revised discussion about how we do this. Um, yeah. Ultimately though, it's going to be super affordable, at least for this year. Um, you guys are going to fall in love with the product and yeah, I think my, my, my rant did some good things for everyone. Well, for yeah, me, the affordability is going to get people in the beginning and then you're going to realize that you can't live without it mm-hmm. It's because it's that good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're we're gonna be fifty dollars for this year, which is for, huge. Which yeah, like, yeah, it's gonna be huge forever. Like for people jumping in on the first year, I mean, it, yeah, like you're gonna you're gonna fall in love. Like I said, you're gonna fall in love with it, and I think that right from there, you're gonna realize that it's. It, I mean, it's awesome to play with. It's fun to use. It's incredibly helpful, incredibly useful. It, yeah, it's it's gonna make waves. I'm I've been so excited for it from the jump i mean yeah like for the year that we've been really working on this it's it's all coming together yeah uh scott barrett and i have been demoing the product for some of the leaders in the industry i'm not going to name names right now i'm sure if you pay attention to twitter you'll figure out who those people are but yeah um the response that we have got has been even more than i thought it would be uh, it's been insane. People are super excited for this. Their their mind has been completely blown. Um, which you know, for me, I've been doing this. We've been building this for over a year now. So yeah, like, I almost forget how cool it is because I've been in it for so much. Right, it's just what I'm used to at this point. It's like I, I I know we have this. So for for the people that are just now getting exposed to it, they're like, holy cow! So which is awesome. The the internal beta test actually starts today. Well, we're recording this on Thursday. Not sure if the pod will be up today or not, but the internal beta test starts today, which means all of our employees that aren't related, you know, with the data product, they're they're going to get their first look at it. And then we've yep. invited, um, you know, I think thirty to forty external folk as well to beta test the product. And then we're still we're still marching towards the June twelfth launch. So I don't want to say dates too, you know, June twelfh ish. I should say. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, we're going to be right there. So. It seems yeah. like that date is becoming more firm as yes. we get closer. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So that's it. That's the data update, though. It's uh, it's we're almost there. We're almost there, and I can't wait. And then in other news, NFL is kind of back. OTAs are in full swing. All the t all you you're getting the first look at a lot of rookies, first look at guys that have been injured from last year that are that are coming back and. It's I love OTA season. 
because <laughs> one, you get to like, it is, it is fun to get a good look, but it's also fun to just see the, like how much people want football so badly. Like That's it's been, fair. it's been like a little less than four months since the Super Bowl was played. And like that four, that three to four month period, you have the draft and everything, but like, you don't really get to see anything live in the NFL. And like, you can, you can just tell because people are already, you know, so the superlatives are coming out. The overreactions are coming out. I mean, Jameson Williams caught a football and I think I saw it 80 different times yesterday. Um, you're seeing other guys go out there and make a play and it's just like, Oh my goodness. He's taking, this is it. This is the year he's taking over. Like it's, it's just fun to see fan beat writer, all the other reactions, overreactions to the, to these guys getting back on the field. It's too much, man. Like I, I like, it's cool to see people get excited about football, but I can't tell you how many videos I've seen now of wide receivers catching the ball on air. Yeah. Or like against like a, like an offensive player that's just kind of, you know, they're just there to be a body for a second. Right. I mean, we've had a million of them. I mean, just yesterday we had Jamison Williams, which you could argue whether that was a good rep or not even. I mean, that, that, that point's a little suspect. Uh, right. you Justin Ross, who's like a bottom of the roster guy, people talking themselves back into Justin Ross. Yep. Um, catch, I th- I'm pretty sure he caught that pass on a wide receiver playing corner just because it was just basically scout team. You know, yeah. like you're literally just running on air. Uh, we saw Quinton Johnston with the crazy one hand catch yep. on air. Again, no defender on air. <laughs> Jahan Dotson with, you know, some crazy route where, you know, I think it took him six seconds to get out of his break, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, cool for OTAs, whatever. Yeah. But like none of it matters. None of it really means anything. They don't show player development. The Quinton Johnson one hand catch thing is fine. We've seen him make ridiculous catches in college. It doesn't wipe out. The, the three years of tape where he has bad hands technique. It's just one thing. Johnson, but, but, you know. And I think you'd be surprised that, like, those guys are there because of how good they are. And I think you'd be surprised at how many wide receivers could make effective, awesome one-handed catches on air. Exactly. It's, on, on most of the throws, too, are lollipops. They're not, like, taking a bullet and, and one-handing right. it. It's you the know, reason. Like, it's the reason they're in the league is because they can do yeah. that. Those things, like most of those guys, can do those things. I mean, not to say that it isn't fun to it isn't fun to watch, but at the same time, like pull it back a little bit. I mean, people the, the skill gap between average person and NFL player in general is insane. So these videos that wow everyone just crack me up. I remember like my senior year of high school. You know, I was I was in it pretty thick as a football guy and. I would catch passes from uh, Jim Miller, former NFL quarterback, multiple Super Bowl winner as a backup with Chicago and New England and Tampa. Right. Um, he, we went to the same high school. He's obviously a lot older than me and has a his own show on NFL Sirius XM now. But so I used to catch with him, and he was just an average armed quarterback for the NFL. Right. And I never felt anything like his passes coming into my hands. And we thought my high school quarterback had a gun, by the way. Right. Nothing, not even remotely close to what Jim Miller had, who was just, and by this time, he had been retired for probably five or six years. You know, nice beer belly going. Right. 
wasn't considered a strong arm guy and his his average throw stung your hands and then when he really wanted to put some mustard on it like it's point being the the, the gap between an nfl player and the average person is just so insane. I think that's why people get so hyped up when they see these videos because they just can't, they actually don't fathom how freakishly athletic these guys are. Right. And the OTA, OTA videos are a great uh, reminder of that because some of these plays are just like, why are we getting hyped about <laughs> Justin Ross catching this ball on air? You know? Uh, right. Like what we, we're still, we're still wondering if Justin Ross will even be there. Make come the team. September. Right. Um, but now I sound like a hater, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> recluse into my my uh, man cave here. I don't know. Um, should we talk about some? You mentioned superlatives. Should we keep on with the superlatives train here? Yeah, I guess they're not really superlatives, but we are doing our positional group rankings today. We're gonna hit the O line, which you know, for some that's a boring conversation. I love it though because I think I know I do too. O-line rolls a big portion of the game so yeah i mean uh, i was i was actually just talking with friends and we were just like talking about offensive line and just how how integral and how like floor raising a good offensive line is yeah i don't think it gets appreciated enough but like the teams that are consistently good like the patriots like the reason that they never really fall off or never or never really will fall off it seems like is that they always have a pretty consistent offensive line it's just they, it's such a bar setter for a team and an offense to like to just give yourself a starting point that other teams may not have that have lesser offensive lines this is true um yeah, and, and even like for predicting a team's success, if you can confidently say a team has a good offensive line, usually you can predict that they're not going to be a bottom of the barrel team, which right. is going to be for one of the teams on my list, by the way, for top 10, because I, I think it's going to warrant a pretty good discussion about where we're at. But um, yeah. Anyways, should we just dive right into it? Yeah, let's get into it. I'm guessing we have the same number one, and then it probably gets pretty hairy from there. Yeah, I mean... I'm assuming that you and I both went with the Eagles number one. Yes, we did. We did. I mean, they showed it. They've shown it for the last couple of years. They showed it last year. I mean, again, like Jalen Hurts was able to develop as a passer last year and the year before because of what he has in front of him on the offensive line. Just the ability to throw from clean pockets, the ability to get a good, clean vision of the field, obviously having great weapons on the outside is really helpful, but just being able to assess the situation and go through your progressions and all of that behind a solid offensive line where the clock in your head or in his head is gets to be just a little bit longer. It, like he gets that extra couple tenths of a second, which make a massive difference. And that like, that just, that's why that's a big reason that, Jalen Hurts has been able to develop, I, I think, the way that he has. Obviously, he's a grinder and everything, but it really, I think, starts with the offensive line because of because it just allows that offense to be so much more effective. Absolutely. Um, th- I mean, they have the best offensive tackle duo 
in the league in Jordan Mailata and Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson's obviously a future Hall of Famer. Jason Kelsey in at center, also a future Hall of Famer, still playing at an incredibly high level. Landon, Dicker, Landon Dickerson was one of the best guards in football last year. Yeah. Um, the only real question mark is um, Isaac Samalu leaves for Pittsburgh. They replace him with Cam Jurgens, and you know Jurgens was a what a top 100 pick last year in last year's draft. He was yeah. handpicked by Jason Kelsey himself to replace Kelsey eventually. So I think they're going to be fine here at, at right guard. I think, and plus they have the best, you know, probably the best or second best O-line coach in the league. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Jurgen is going to be ready to play. I don't think they skip a beat. They might even get a little bit better because Sayamala was, he was good, but he wasn't special, you know, but this, this line is fantastic. They pass protect, they run block, they do everything well. Dickerson and Kelsey are ridiculous in space. I'm, I'm assuming Cam Jurgens will be the same way because he's built similar, similarly to to Kelsey. Yeah, um, so they do a lot of really creative things with their run concepts. A lot of you know cool pulling options. They're great in the screen game because those guys are so mobile. So they, there isn't really anything this O line can't do from a from a concept standpoint, from a pass protection standpoint. So um, easy, easy number one for me. And I actually think they're like in their own little tier. I don't think anyone's close. Yeah. And Jurgens, he like what a way to acclimate yourself to the starting lineup to be able to play between Kelsey and Lane Johnson. Like that that gives you so much room to develop, so much room for error if it's there, just because you know you have a high IQ center and one of the best tackles. Like you just it allows you to grow more because there's not as much on your plate. There's not as much focus on you necessarily. And so like it just the, the ability to develop within that system next to those guys, like that's a ceiling raiser. It's a floor raiser and a ceiling raiser for him. Yeah. And just getting his feet wet at right guard, as opposed to center is huge. Right guard is um, by far the, the easiest, less stressful position to play on the offensive line. Yeah. Uh, not going to see a lot of pass rushing three tacks at right guard. It's, that's going to be more Dickerson's job. Um, so he, he really is going to get a chance to learn from Kelsey, li- you know, listen to the calls um, and he'll be helping a lot on like, you know, big one techniques or whatever. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I love, I love getting his feet wet that way. So number two, <clears throat> actually let's pause for one sec. Maybe we should talk criteria a little bit for the purposes of O-line because it is such a cohesive unit. Um, I didn't consider depth a ton like I had right. positions we talked about. Yeah. Uh, went starting five. And more specifically, I, I kind of went tackles score higher for me. Then center would be the next position. And then and then left guard, then right guard. Um, so like a really good right guard, yeah, that's, that's nice to have. But it doesn't move the needle as much as, say, a really good center or a really good tackle or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yep. Uh, number two, who did who'd you go with? Number two, I went with the Lions. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> and a, we're home. I mean, are like we are, but are we? Because <laughs> this line is ridiculous. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Like starting with the tackles, you have Taylor Decker and Penny Sewell. Taylor Decker, if the team is fully healthy, I mean, arguably could be the weakest link of the unit, and he's a very very solid tackle and Penny Sewell is a point tackle yeah for sure Penny's up five six tackle for me and Penny Sewell's only getting better yeah exactly we haven't even seen his best football 
like Taylor Taylor Decker's an anchor on the left, and Penny Sewell is. I mean, he's a he's great in pass pro, and he's a. I mean, one of the best run blocking tackles in the NFL. His, his ability, his athleticism, and his ability to move in spaces, like not it does doesn't even make sense for a guy that size. Exactly. Um, and then Jonah Jackson's a he's a really good left guard, especially for what this team wants to do. Um, smash mouth football, and Jonah Jackson is definitely a mean, gritty guard who's going to get after it in the run game. That's where he really thrives. Not the best pass protector, but it doesn't really matter because a lot of their deep passing concepts are coming off play action. He hasn't really cost them much in, in pass pro, um, despite some some pressure numbers not being super super favorable to him. I, I really don't think it matters. So he's great. And then Frank Ragnow, he's probably, what, the best center in the league now, right? I mean, so, yeah. Oh, no, sorry, Kelsey. Kelsey's well, probably. Kelsey, and then after him, I would say yes. Probably the Creed Humphrey Frank Ragnow. Yeah. yeah, and Linderbaum is, could take a step as well. But yeah. right now, as it stands, the only issue with Ragnow is that he has that irreparable toe. Yeah, it sounds like it doesn't matter because he still played ridiculously good last year, and he – it yeah. was way worse last year than it is right now, so we'll yeah. I guess we'll see. But and then Vitai is, I mean, he's solid. It's I mean, for since he's been in Detroit, it's been keeping him healthy. Yeah. And the, and then you have Vitai, who's really he has he's very skilled, but the the issue with him being or the issue that has been with him in Detroit is that he hasn't stayed healthy. And if he does stay healthy, he's a he's a plus. He's a plus player at right guard. And again, like we talked with um, the Eagles, he's pr- probably the worst guy along the line. But again, he's at right guard. It's a pretty safe position. And he does have upside. He's, a, he's an athletic guy. He's a big guy. And he, he can he can make things happen. It's just a matter of whether you actually get him for the season or the entire season. Yeah, he Vitae is definitely the weak link. But he's played his best football under this regime at right guard. So they're not using him at tackle anymore. He's strictly been the right guard. Obviously, he missed last year with the back issue. But uh, when he's healthy, man, he's a mauler in the run game, and that's really what they're wanting out of that right guard spot. So um, I, for a weak link, that's not bad. There's, yeah, <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a plus player um, when he's healthy. And uh, shoot, I, and I also like that they, they kind of prepared. I know we literally just said we didn't really consider depth a whole lot, but they prepared for this by bringing back uh, Graham Glasgow. Yep. You know, Glasgow can get in the mix if Vitae has to miss time. They yep. also did uh, Swordsall, who I think is probably going to be a guard in the NFL. So um, they kind of protected themselves against another injury to Vitae there. So uh, signs pointing up for me. Yeah. And just another, again, another team that, like, because of their offensive line, the floor is very, very high for them. Yes. Indeed. Um, all right. Who is your three? Number three, I went with the Chiefs. Really? Okay. Yeah. I like the addition of Jaywan Taylor. I think that I think that he's an effective tackle and I think that he can be he can be very good in this system. Um Donovan Smith is another is another solid tackle. Creed Humphrey is continually ascending and their guards, Trey Smith is a is a mauler, a baller, a monster in space, and Tooney's been you know, solid forever. Yeah, so they probably have the best interior offensive line in the league with Tooney, Humphrey, and Smith. 
Yeah. I do not like their tackle situation, though. I like, I think Juwan Taylor's a downgrade from Orlando Brown Jr. I was surprised that they made the swap considering they pretty much had to pay Taylor similar money anyways. Um, and then Donovan Smith has not been good for, for Tampa Bay. So, uh, I, I think that, I just think they're spending a lot of money on tackles that they probably had better tackles last year, <laughs> to be quite honest. So, um, I, I don't think their line's bad. I have them nine on my list, but yeah, definitely a big discrepancy between us. I just, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it comes down to me. I, I, I really do like their tackles better last year. Um, but yeah, I, just, I mean, it's not a 20 plus million dollar a year player to me. It, it, the way I saw it is that it's, you know, obviously we're obviously projecting for next year. And I think Donovan Smith and Jay one Taylor are both young guys that can continue to ascend. And I think that surrounding that or having them, with the interior that they have, I think that they could take a step forward and be continue to be more effective and get better in this system and uh, with that unit. So there's like it, you know, it's a projection, but I think that I think they're going to be a very very good unit. I think that those tackle spots, while they may be some question marks right now, I think that they could they could continue to ascend and prove to be more effective than what they look like on paper right now. I can buy into development with Taylor, but I mean Donovan Smith is thirty. And he hasn't played good football in three or four years, so I don't I don't think he's going to develop at all. But I think what you see is what you get there, and he, he's not like he's not terrible. I just he's he's definitely a below average tackle to me. So, um, but man, that interior is scary. I mean, Tooney, Humphrey, Trey Smith, those guys are all monsters. They're both yeah. they're all good pro and in the run game. They're like yeah, very versatile. Humphrey's obviously emerged as a a ridiculous talent at center, which it seems like we all knew that when he was coming out of the draft, but for whatever reason, he just kept falling and falling and falling in the draft and it made no sense. But Hey, the chiefs, the rich get richer with, with Humphrey. So yeah, that was a, it was a no brainer move to take him where he was, where he was at today. End of the second round. And most people were mocking him in the first. Yeah. He was late twenties. In those in those mock drafts, too. there was really no issues with this game. It was just so strange that he fell that far. But yeah. Um. All right. For my three, I went with Dallas. I had them at four. Nice. So so Dallas, you know, people kind of compare where they're at right now to where they were five years ago when they were clearly the best O line in the league. Right. And they think that their line's not that good anymore, but the truth is they're still really freaking good. Zach yes. Martin is still probably the best guard in all of football. Um, Tyler Smith played really well as a rookie last year. He's going to play left guard for them. And then Terrence Steele, had a re- he was a revelation at right tackle for them last year. Like, traditionally been a left tackle, had some bad seasons, but they got him out to right tackle last year, and he played awesome next to Zach Martin out there. I think that's a massive win for the continuity of this line going forward. I think Tyron Smith, obviously, he's been banged up, but when he's on the field, he's still very good. Yeah. Tyler did play pretty good at left tackle last year, so I think there will be a natural transition that occurs at some point when Tyron Smith decides to walk away. Yeah. And Tyler Piotrowski is, is a great center as well. I should, well, I should say a good center. I don't think he's great, but he's a good center. So overall, they have five above average players, though, in my opinion, and a couple ascending guys in, in Tyler Smith and Tyler Piotrowski, who are both getting better by the day. If Tyron Smith can stay healthy, I think Dallas could could be finish the year like as high as number two to me because yeah. that's just 
talent they have here. Yeah. Yeah, it really does hinge on uh, Tyron Smith's health. That's, I mean, that's kind of the key point right now for them is having him stay healthy because, yeah, having him and Tyler Smith holding down the left side of the line, that's two big guys that are athletic and can just move people. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious to see, like, how they do, too, with the new scheme this year. Which I think is the biggest question mark for Dallas this year. Yeah, I, mean, I think they can use a lot more play action than they have in the past, which could really help this line too. Uh, play action helps every offensive line. I don't know why every team doesn't use it all the time, but um, yeah, I, I think that could be a, a big win for them, especially for especially for them who has a lot of guys that are very very strong at the attack point. Play action helps utilize that strength. And so just getting them, getting them, you know, in that play scheme helps just makes them more effective than they already are. Yeah. So my, so Dallas was your four. My four was Cleveland. And they were my five. (laughs) Nice. Pretty simpatico here. Yeah. So Cleveland. You know, I went back and forth here. I thought about putting them lower because Jedrick Wills has really disappointed me so far. That was my – yeah, that was where I was at too. I was like everything else is solid. Jedrick Wills is the one question mark where you want to – you've wanted to see more from him since he's come into the league. I mean, he got drafted very highly, was regarded very highly coming into the draft, and it's been mixed reviews so far. He's had moments for sure, but for the most part, the the consistency just hasn't been there. Um, I do like that they address probably their biggest need, at, which was that center with Ethan Pochich bringing him over from Seattle. Yep, Pochich, you know, he's probably he's not a top five center by any means, but he's definitely probably top twelve. I mean, he's he's a good player. Yeah, so I definitely like that. They their guard duo is probably the best guard duo in the league, right? With Bentonio yeah. and Whitehouse, yeah, those guys are absolute monsters. Um. Bentonio can actually play a little bit of tackle as well. He's he's had some success at left tackle, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, this this team is this is nasty. If Jedrick Wills can develop, I think uh, the you know sky's the limit for this unit. Yeah, and then question mark. And then Conklin on the right side is solid. Yep, he's solid. just you know he's just solid. Good in the run game. The play action stuff really helps him too. Good in the run game, and then he's decent in pass pro. So, um, but Will, Wills has got to get more consistent in the run game. He's got. I just, every time I watch a tape, I just see a ton of miss assignments, ton of MAs, and that's just not great. So, yeah, it's one of those where it just looks like too. It looks like too much, or it still looks like it's moving a little too fast for him at times. Yeah, and it just kind of sure. guys sneak up on him. It just you know. It's not where you want it to be or what you want him to be yet, but it, you know he's still young and the, like it's still possible he can de- he can develop. And it's been a very effective run game. This is going to be the best offensive line Deshaun Watson's ever played behind. He doesn't have to worry about getting sacked sixty four times this year. That's a fact. And so yeah, the, it has a they're a solid unit. They have a lot of upside and it really, where this unit finishes at the end of the year it does hinge on what Jedrick Wills 
is this year. For sure. Um, all right. So, so your five was Cleveland. My five is the Minnesota Vikings. I had them at nine. At nine. All right. So because I value the tackle position so heavily when doing these rankings, I think Minnesota probably has the third best tackle duo in the league behind Philadelphia and Detroit. Darisaw has come a lot. Like he has come along so good. He he's definitely a premier left tackle in the NFL. Brian yeah. O'Neill has been steady Eddie since he's been drafted, basically. Um, yep. he's been pretty good. Very athletic dude, really good in pass pro, getting better in the run game. I I definitely like that. They do have some questions on the interior though, Steve, and this is why they weren't higher for me, because anytime you put a, a tackle duel like that out there, I'm gonna I'm gonna love your offensive line more than right. That. But they do have questions. I mean, Ed, Ed Ingram was a second-round rookie last year. He was absolutely terrible in pass protection last year, which is not good yeah. for a right guard because you're not seeing a ton of – like you're in favorable looks a lot as a right guard, and he was really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, really good in the run game, though. He was like, you know – the Lions have a, a guy like that, Logan Stenberg, who's just – you know, yeah. he, he on the field, you love watching him in the run game because he just yep. knocks crap out of people. And then he just gets absolutely abused, pass protecting. Ed, Ed Ingram was basically the same thing, except he played like 900 snaps last year. So yeah, it's one of those where every pa- every passing play, you're kind of watching through your eyes or through your fingers of like hoping nothing goes wrong. Yeah, because he is such a young player, though. I think he's 22 years old. You you would assume he's going to develop a little bit if he can clean that up just a little bit. Yeah, 10 percent improvement. I think he could be a, a, a above average guard for sure, and then. You know, Bradbury's been fine. Ezra Cleveland's been fine. Wouldn't say those guys are great, but they're definitely above average players. Yeah. So I like the tackle duo, though, is really what puts them over the top for me. I just think, you know, it's going to be so hard to beat them um, rushing the passer on like third and 10. Like you're not you're not going to get a lot of wins against those tackles. Yeah, no. Yeah, they're not. you're not going to they're going to hold down the edges pretty well against any archetype of edge rusher that comes at them they can take on they can take on a bull rush they can take on a speed rush they're athletic on the outside Darisaw is yeah Darisaw is so good I mean he was it was amazing to watch what he kind of turned into at the end of the year where he I mean he had a he put himself in the conversation as one of the best left tackles in the NFL or for going into this year yeah agreed all right, let's uh, let's get to your six. Who's your six? My number six is the Baltimore Ravens. Mine too. This is another unit that just all around is very solid. Ronnie Stanley, when he's healthy, has been the very effective left tackle. Tyler Linderbaum in the middle is a very good, uh, very good center. Very young. I mean, he's going to come along really well. He's super cerebral. Very good in space. Um, Morgan Moses on the right side is he's older, but you know he's a he's a solid player. He's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's not going to get himself into a lot of sticky situations. You know you're going to have to figure out a game plan for post Moses, but with him there, it's it's still again it's just you know one of those where it's a solid right tackle. You're not going to. You're not going to get a lot of missed assignments with him. You're not going to get a lot of, holy cow, he's getting his ass beat week in, week out. He's just he's going to hold down the right side. And then 
Cleveland and Zeitler are good guards that are effective in both pass pro and run game. Yeah, Zeitler is still very good. That whole that right side, those both Zeitler and Moses, you, they need to start thinking about what they're going to do after this year. Yeah, that time is not now. So we can go ahead and rank them as if they're on the team because they are. So right, Zeitler and Moses are form a really good right side, and then Cleveland is the probably the biggest wild card to me. He played okay last year. Um, pretty was it limited snaps though? Was it not? Was yeah. It like, he wasn't a full-time player, right? Because they had Ben Powers. Right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cleveland, I don't think he played much at all, actually. So, he's the biggest question mark. Um, if he it develops a little bit, I think, you know, uh, if he can get to average, this, this O-line is going to be really, really good. So, Yeah, Cleveland appeared in 10 games and started week 18. So, yeah, so probably less than 100 snaps total. Yeah, so definitely uh, a question mark going into this year. Yeah, but the other be safe, being, being sandwiched okay. between Stanley and Linderbaum is a good yeah. spot to be in. For sure. The Speaking of Stanley, that's the other big question mark is like he's missed a lot of time for the last yeah. few years. Yep. Um, over 30 games, I believe. So he's got to stay healthy. Um, he's a one of the premier left tackles in the league if he's healthy. Um, so they're definitely banking on that for sure. That he's getting paid a lot of money too. So yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, that's Baltimore. They're they're good, and I, I think their new schemes actually should help them a lot too. Yes, uh, I mean every O line guy you talk to talks about how running the ball is really important for setting up pass pro. But I, I felt like the run scheme was just too heavy. To the point where they were getting exhausted, <laughs> right? You know, these, so, like having some more traditional dropbacks, I think will just help mix it up enough. A little bit more spread, not so much heavy personnel. That you know that should keep the defense off balance a little bit, so they they don't know what to expect, which should help their uh, all of their consistency on a snap to snap basis. So yes. All right, let's. Uh, uh, your seven. Who's your seven? For my number seven, I went with the Green Bay Packers. Ooh, Green Bay did not make my top ten, but I yeah, I think I have them, and then one other team that may not have made your top ten, but I like where they're at, and so I and I like their upside with Green Bay. Zach Tom came along really well last year; was a one of the one of the bigger surprises for that team. Uh, Bakhtiari is, you know, it's health for him. When he's there, he's really good, and he's been really good for a long time. Um, and that Josh Myers, is, Josh Myers, El, Elgin D- Jenkins, and John Runyon, all in the interior are, a, you know, an ascending, come, they're coming along. I think that they they can become a good, a good unit together. And it's just it's a team that, that looks out, and I think that with – uh, Jordan Love being back there for the first time, full-time starting. I think that this is a – it's a good unit to stand behind, and I think that they can they can keep him clean and help him well, see – they'll get a good look at what he can be if he is the quarterback of the future or not. I like – I just like what I saw on, on tape for the Packers offensive line last year, and I think that they're going to take another step forward. It's it, Bakhtiari being healthy is a, is a huge question mark, and I, yeah. I – th- I th- but I – 
if he does stay healthy, I really like the upside of this unit. Yeah, I think that's why they were a tough sell for me. Um, I do think they have some talent, but for for where this this team's identity is right now, I'm not buying Zach Tom and uh, I'm totally blanking John Runyon. I'm not buying Zach Tom and John and even Josh Myers for that matter as guys you can count on to to really move the needle in the run game. And I think it's pretty clear the Packers want the run game to be what they do for right now. Which um, is true. Yeah. Yeah. So And I think it'll be even more so this year. Yeah. Well that's yeah, that's what I mean. Like you saw the transition start last year. I think it's gonna be even more heavy this year. Tom, you know, as good as he was in pass pro, which he was I'm not denying he he was a you know a big surprise in pass pro last year. He was very uh inconsistent in the run game and it got absolutely abused at times. Myers is the same way. Runyon has always kind of struggled with the run game. But then you go to the left side, and it's like, yeah, you see like Bakhtiari, a healthy Bakhtiari and a healthy Jenkins is, might be the best left side of, of any unit in the league. I mean, that's, yeah. that's insane. So yeah, the potential is definitely there if, if those three other guys kind of you know develop a little bit and, and continue to get better. The thing is, Green Bay, we, we've had these discussions about them before. We're like, oh, they're finally regressing. It's caught up to them. The O-line's going to get worse because they, they always let guys go because they believe in their homegrown talent so much. Yes, they do. They never get bad. They always stay top 10. They always stay top 12. So I could see it. I could see them being a top 10 unit for sure. I didn't rank them there myself just because of those concerns that I have. But, like, they're not falling past 12 to 14 for me. Like, at, at worst, they'd probably be, like, just – kind of just scanning through probably like 12th for me so yeah and that's a, i think that's a big part of it is that just the, the in-house development they've had year over year for a decade plus is it's really like two decades is what like yeah, exactly is where like it's kind of where i'm hinging on with them is that i'm hoping and assuming that those young guys are going to take a step forward and then the left side is going to be anchored by those those by Jenkins and Bakhtiari and it, they're going to take a step forward and insert themselves into a, a top 10 unit because you saw it at times last year it was there it's just that you know consistency was the biggest it was a huge thing agreed all right my seven I went with the Atlanta Falcons they were to my number eight nice so Atlanta they I think what really stands out to me is they don't really have a weak spot. Like their weak spot might be left guard, but they just drafted someone to play there with the high draft pick and Matthew Bergeron. Yep. Did I love the pick? No, I didn't, but I think Bergeron can play and I think he's better suited to play guard. So um, him sliding in naturally at left guard makes sense. Jake Matthews and Caleb McGarry is an underrated tackle duo. Are they, they're not world beaters, but these guys are both really good. They're solid. They're not going to have a lot of missed assignments. They're not going to give up a ton of pressure. Yep. I think that that should help. And then Drew Dahlman and Chris Lindstrom, I mean, they're getting it done for for what this Atlanta team wants to do. So, Lindstrom is another guy that you could argue is the best guard in the NFL. Yeah. You could yep. make a case for it. And he got, he got paid that way too. Top five for sure. Top five for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, just they just don't have a weak link, a weak link and they've got – you know, three really good players on that line. So it's, it's easy to put them in the top 10 to me. Um, and I guess if you don't really like, 
you don't realize how bad some of these offensive lines are until you study all 32 of them to put up a ranking. Yeah. You realize simply just not having a weak link makes your offensive line very good because there's yes. teams with multiple terrible players, and you're just like, how are they going to survive this year? You know, like maybe we should do a reverse of a bottom 10 <laughs> rankings for every position. <laughs> That's That'd be fun. It, it'd be funny. It'd funny. be mean, but it'd be funny. I mean, yeah. But so point being, it's just, you know, once you really dive into the depth of some of these teams, it's really easy to see how the Falcons can jump. Because I think that's going to surprise people, I guess, is why I'm laying this caveat out there. I think people are going to see Atlanta Falcons top 10, especially casuals, and say, whoa, how? Right. It's been so bad for so long. But no, they, like, they've done a good job of slowly building this lineup. And I, I really think they're good. So, um, so they were your... Eight. Number, they were my eight. My eight was the Denver Broncos. I didn't have them in my top ten. Cool. They were just the on the outside looking in. Yeah, we're kind of at that point where, you know, you can make an argument for them in or out. Um, I look at it this way. Their line played above expectation last year. Lloyd Cushenberry played well at center. Garrett Bowles has been a solid left tackle for a, a while. And Quinn yep. Mike was – um, has emerged as a, a really good right guard, which we kind of knew he would just because he has that swagger about him. You know, you just knew he was going to be good. Yeah. He he, like he's a he, Viking looking fella, you know? <laughs> yeah. He just fit the archetype of a good, a good NFL offensive lineman. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. L- loves belly shirts, you know, like any lineman willing to sport the belly shirt, you're just like, yep, he's going to be good. There's no doubt about that. So you know he's got confidence in his game and in himself. If he's if he's rocking that, you, you have to respect that. Exactly. So he's emerged, and then they went out and they signed Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey. This might be the most improved offensive line, and they were not even bad last year. Yeah. So that, that's crazy. So I, they they've made a, a a really intentional investment in that O line, and it's just another situation where it's like I don't see a guy in this starting five that's bad. They don't have a world beater. They don't have a you know an exceptional player at any spot. I think Minor has probably is the best shot to get there. Yeah, but they're just solid at all five spots. I would say good at all five spots. So yeah, and, a top ten team for me. Yeah, and McGlinchey's really good in the run game. He has question marks in the pat and pass pro, but yeah, it's just it's a solid unit that, like you said, it's gonna keep going to keep Russell Wilson clean. Yep. Which is something that you know, he's clearly needs as he's age as he's getting a little bit older, he needs he needs more protection. He's not able to do some of the stuff that he was able to do behind those shoddy uh Seattle offensive lines in his in his youth. Uh he's not he's not as mobile, he's not as you know, necessarily creative. So having a solid offensive line that can kind of hold down the front for Russell Wilson is at least going to give their offense a better chance at being better than almost the worst last year. And Sean Payton coming in helps also as well. well. I was just going to say too, think about how much Payton valued offensive line play in New Orleans. He always yeah, yeah. capital at it, signed players to big contracts. It was always a point of emphasis for him. So I'm not surprised to see him come in and immediately start adding talent to that room and, um, you know, I think he'll elevate them with coaching as well. So, all right. So that was my number eight team. Your number eight was Atlanta, who yep. discussed. My number nine team was Kansas City. Your number nine team was Minnesota. Both teams we've already discussed, which leaves us with our final number ten team. 
why don't you throw your 10th team out there? Yeah, and I think I, I'm, you're going to raise your eyebrows, but I like the upside of this unit, and I think that they could come along this year. I went with the Carolina Panthers. Ooh, no, I don't. I, I, I debated them for 10. Yeah. Between the my 10th my team is an eyebrow raiser as well, but you, go ahead with the Panthers. Yeah, with the Panthers, it's a young line that, like, Iquanu showed a lot of a lot of upside, and I think that he's going to continue to ascend. Uh, Taylor, is it Matone, Moton? Moton. Moton, yeah. He is another guy. Like, he held down the uh, right side very well. I think that, like, that's a, that's a tackle duo that you're not talking about a lot about right now. At least a lot of, like, you know, more casual fans are not really, you know, in tune with the Carolina Panthers, and I don't blame you. But I think that you're going to hear more about that duo more and more this year because of the trajectory that they're on. And, I mean, you, you, you started to see it last year. This was a unit that was very effective in the run game. Like, that, that run game was the only reason that the Panthers weren't, like, the worst team in the NFL. And I mean, that combined with, like, some of the effectiveness of their defense. But the reason they're off, their offense had the potential to be horrendous. But because of their offensive line, it, it, again, it just raised the floor of the outcome of this team. And it, it you know, it starts with Aquanu and Moten and Christensen, Bozeman, Corbett all holding down the interior, you know, Christensen and um, Christensen and Corbett at the guards and Bradley Bozeman at uh, center. It's just another solid unit. And kind of like the Denver Broncos, there isn't a super weak link along this line. And, they're young and they're, they can continue to grow. They, you know, they have another, they're going to have another year of getting familiar with each other, which like, that's a big thing of with like the lions. That's why they've become so good is because of familiarity and consistency along the offensive line. And I think that's what's going to happen with the Panthers. I think that consistency is going to help. They lean on the run game and that, you know, that's a huge, that can be huge for an offensive line, especially the Carolina Panthers who are all very strong at the attack point are all very, you know they move people. They they're able to get off get off of double teams and move up to the line, linebackers. I I really like the upside of this unit, and I really think that it, again it's going to allow Bryce Young to develop. That run game is going to stay pretty consistent, and you know I think that like because of that because of this unit, the Carolina Panthers could kind of surprise some people on offense this year. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, I didn't have in my top ten, but I I considered it. I think Iki Akonwu, so that, that 2022 class was loaded at tackle at the top of the draft. They had three go in the top eight, right? Charles Cross, yep. Iki Akonwu, and uh, Evan Neal. I thought Iki was easily the best of those three. I think signs are pointing up for him, and I think he's going to take another step this year. You saw it towards the end of the year last year, too. He was really coming yeah. to his own. Um, they weren't that bad in pass protection either. I know everyone points to the run game like, oh, they had to run the ball to be efficient. That was because their quarterback sucked. Yeah, right. It wasn't because of them. Yeah, no, the, the, the pass protection was, was pretty decent, actually, especially with Icky um, and Taylor Moton. Underrated tackle duo for sure. My guy, Joe Marino, shout out Joe, who, who lives in Charlotte, has been telling me for a while now that this, uh, this O-line has, is on the ascension, and I think he's right. They get, oh, all five of these guys are really good athletes, too, by the way. Exactly. And awesome. you see it when, if, like, look, go if you go back and watch Carolina tape toward the end of the year, a big thing that they did consistently is that they loved to 
uh, get LaVisca Chenault involved in the screen game, and they love to get that offensive line on the move going outside because yes. they know how athletic they are, because they know how well they work They work in space. I, I imagine they're going to continue to use plays like that. But, yeah, they just – they loved to – you know, they didn't trust their quarterback and they wanted to, you know, try to find some effectiveness in a big – a big way they did that was utilizing the screen game, getting those guys in motion, getting those guys out and out in space to, you know, take on smaller guys that, you know, can't hold up with the athleticism and the power that these guys offer. Yep, exactly. All right. I'm going to drop my 10 here, but we're going to come back and we're going to revisit this Carolina conversation because the team I'm putting at 10 is in a similar boat. They're going to have a rookie quarterback behind them. I think people around, especially casual fans would never assume this team as a top 10 offensive line or even in the conversation. And I just think it's absolutely true. And that's the Houston Texans. I, I debated them at number 10 too. They were probably, they would, I mean, I think they would, they were right there second. They're probably 11 for me. Yeah. So the Houston Texans have an underrated tackle duo. Um, Titus Howard has been – he's got a ton of experience at this point. He's really started to play better the last couple of years. Um, you know, last year he was a sneaky good pass protector, and he started getting more consistent in the run game. Uh, he's probably their wink link. Laramie Tunzel's a top five left tackle in the league. Kenyon Green was a first-round pick from a year ago who slides in at left guard. He He's developing nicely. Yep. Juice Scruggs, a rookie this year, going to man down the center position. I really liked – juice as a prospect i did think that took him a little early but hey you got to shoot your shot take the take good players take guys you like and then they they trade for Shaq mason who is easily one of the better right guards in the league top 10 guard i think P, by pff standards Shaq mason is graded in the top 10 every single season of his career which is not so just consistency there yeah again another situation where you you don't have a bad player on that line and you've got young ascending talent Scruggs, Green, Tunsil, Howard. These are not old. Like, I think Tunsil's the oldest of that bunch, and he's 26. So, like, 27 maybe. So, yeah, young ascending talent. I, I really want to talk about the Texans and the Panthers in the same conversation because when we started the show, we talked about how offensive line play is often predictive of team success, or at least for the floor of the team. Yep. If we're if you and I are both saying the Texans and the Panthers have good offensive lines, and they've obviously had added a, a ton of other pieces via the draft, you know, both adding quarterbacks and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, is it possible that these teams get out of draft purgatory this year and they're no longer picking picking in the top ten? I absolutely like. I absolutely think that's a possibility. If if those if the quarterbacks are what we think they are. Absolutely. I think that like the Panthers for all intents and purposes, they could, they could be a team that makes the playoffs. Well, they, I mean, they it's should a, have not a top 10 this year. Right. Right. Yeah. But like in, in a super weak division, Hey, you, you play who you play. It's you, that's not your problem, but being in the, in the NFC South, which is a huge question mark as an entire division, like, with that offensive line and if Bryce Young is able to develop and be what we hope he can be as a player, like, and they, they have a good defense on the other side, this is absolutely a team that you could see in the playoffs this year and a team that starts to insert themselves as someone who you're going to 
see hang around, you know, in the wild card yep. division, division winner type of tier for a while right now. Could the Houston Texans beat the Tennessee Titans right now? Twice? It's so funny because that's like the te- the Texans have an ascending offense. The Titans, de- the defense is the one thing that's going to keep them from not from not winning any games this year. The Titans' offense is horrendous. So it's like strength on strength, weakness on weakness. But I, I think that the Texans absolutely could beat the Titans. Yeah, they could all. Yeah, they can, they could beat the Colts. If both the Texans and the Panthers were picking outside the top 10 next year, it would not surprise me because they foundationally are doing it the right way. Built the offensive lineup, add the quarterback. Both offenses should take massive leaps forward. Even even with rookie quarterbacks, and I know rookies are usually bad and spotty and whatever, but um, you can't tell me C.J. Stroud behind this line with, with a little bit better weapons is going to be worse than Davis Mills. But so much of why we see – uh, rookie quarterbacks falter at the beginning of their careers. Generally, those guys are starting behind bad offensive lines because it's a team that's picking at the top 10. They're a team that doesn't have a lot of talent on there. So they go and take a quarterback because that's what you're supposed to do. And then they don't have a lot around them, especially not on the offensive line in general. And generally, and that's usually where you see a rookie quarterback falter, but had get beat like, Cannot be stressed enough how helpful it is. Like I said, with the development of Jalen Hurts, like just being able to give a guy the time to develop the clock inside of his head, to develop being able to go through his progressions and being able to not have to see ghosts like, like you know, a Sam Darnold did at the beginning of his career. Like just it it speaks to what David it a lot. It's David Carr. Oh my gosh, yeah, that poor man. But like, yeah, just it allows them to hit their development points quicker and more easily. Yep. All right. Before we wrap this, um, I want to throw out one team I think could make a case for most improved by the end of the year. And I think that team for me is the Chicago bears. Um, I'm not going to rank them anywhere near the top 10 right now, but they've <laughs> right. done enough this off season. They brought in Nate Davis play left guard a big money contract um they drafted darnell Wright, one of my favorite players in this draft to play right tackle which then inevitably kicks tevin jenkins inside yeah but imagine jenkins plays left guard and davis plays right guard because that's what davis played in tennessee however they basically improved three spots on this offensive line by proxy of adding two players braxton jones was a fifth round pick a year ago but he looks like a hit and anytime you hit on a left tackle in the fifth round you're you're playing with you know, goal, you know, it's house money at that point. So yeah. Yeah. Cody White here has been consistently decent at center. So I think this team has a chance to, uh, to really climb the ranks as the season progresses. If it were, if I had to decide right now, I'd probably put them in the twenties somewhere, but um, I think, I think if things break right for them, they could be a close to a top 10 team by the, by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that NFC North is quite the uh, battle of the trenches out there. Yes. That's going to be, those are going to be some, if you're, if you're in it, yeah, it has, but if you're a big nine on seven guy, definitely the NFC North is going to be the place to go to watch. Yep. Absolutely. All right. 
let's get out of here. We'll be back next week. I don't. What position do you want to do next week? Should we just decide right now? Should we do D line? As I was gonna say, we've kind of we've been we've kind of been going yin and yang, offense defense. Yeah. So it makes yeah. I say I say defensive line makes sense. Go, go defensive line next week. Um, actually, Steve, I'm not here next week. You're just now finding this out live on the podcast. I'm out of town on a golf trip. Much needed vacation for the man. You know, it's supposed to be a vacation, but it's stressful because it's it's a tournament. It's a it's the Whitefield Invitational. It's a yearly thing. Um, John Costco, you know, comes along for the ride. He's the only non-Whitefield that plays in the tournament. <laughs> but, uh, Honorary Whitefield. I, I'm not a golfer by trade. I try, like you know, my my pour my heart into it, into getting better, and I'm just I suck. But. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the journey of every man in yeah. golf after yeah. after they finish, you know, whatever their whatever their previous athletic career, previous or educational career, everybody ends up almost everybody ends up in golf. Check this the schedule out though. So we get we get in town on Wednesday. Where are you guys where are you, where are you guys going? This year we're on the west side of the state. Okay. Yeah. Like what upper like Green Rapids. Oh, okay. I could send you the itinerary. But yeah. We played all the courses. Uh, last year we were in Tennessee. The, so every year the winner of the tournament get, gets the, the responsibility of planning next year's tournament. And so the favorite to win this year lives in Arizona. So I'm assuming next year's tournament is going to be in Arizona if he wins. But uh, I don't know. Arizona in June sounds rough. Anyways, we're sidetracked. <laughs> we get there Wednesday. I play 18. Thursday, we play 36. Friday, we play 36. Saturday, we play 36. Sunday, we play 18. And then we come and then we drive home after 18 on Sunday. For a novice golfer who probably plays outside of the, the Whitefield Invitational, I probably play eight times a year. Yeah. I try to go out every other week, usually in the summer. That's a lot of freaking golf, Steve. That is a lot of golf. Eight, eight rounds in five days. That That's is a so lot much of golf. golf. Yeah, my hands, my feet, everything is going to be just mutilated. Your shoulders. You're going to feel like I – I mean, I went out and played earlier this year, and I played like a couple days in a row, and I woke up the next morning, and I was like, oh, my gosh, why does it feel like I got punched in the abs for an hour <laughs> straight? Because you don't realize how much of your core – like your hips and your core you engage, and just like getting that involved in that way, it's like – it just like golf is it makes you sore in ways that you didn't really realize you could get sore in from such a what feels like a passive sport. Yeah. For sure. Well, so unless um you and I find a way to record early next week, I won't be here. Um you'll be it'll be the Stephen Chris show. So All right. We'll figure that out at a later date. Anyways, that's it. That's gonna do it for us. Thank you guys for listening. Please check us out on Twitter and also be looking out for info on that data package because I know y'all are going to want to hit that up. I am your host, Brett Whitefield. This is Stephen O'Rourke, and we are... Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform and come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.